From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this edition. The three witnesses we have before this committee today collectively pose, I believe, the single greatest threat to free speech in America and the greatest threat we have to free and fair elections. That was Senator Ted Cruz of Texas earlier today in the U.S. Senate Commerce Committee's virtual hearing on big tech's bad behavior. We'll get more from Congressman James Comer of Kentucky, the ranking member on the House Oversight Committee. And night two of rioting in the city of brotherly love as looters shoot looters. We'll talk to uh, Dr. Herb Lusk, pastor of Greater Exodus Baptist Church in downtown Philadelphia, about whether or not it is outside agitators that are fueling the riots. And with an understanding of world history at a deficit, are there some parallels between what is happening in the U.S. and what has happened in Marxist takeovers in other countries a century ago that we should be reminded of? We'll talk about it with Larry Taunton, who has a new book out this week, Around the World in More Than 80 Days, Discovering What Makes America Great and Why We Must Fight to Save It. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. And six days, are you counting? Six days from a defining election, have you voted? Are you prepared to vote? Vice President of FRC Action, Brent Kylan, is here with a look at some of the close congressional races around the country and the tools that are available to you to help others Make the right choice. You'll want to miss that coming up later. Also going to have a poll question for you. you want to know, have you already voted? Have you, have you voted already? A lot of people, uh, I think close to 60 million people have already voted. Um, estimating over one-third of voters will vote early. I voted early last week in person. Certainly encourage you to vote in person if at all possible. But uh, that's the poll question. You can text the word radio, R-A-D-I-O, radio, to 53445, 53445. Have you voted? Take the poll question. It'll be interesting to see what percentage of our listeners voted early. And let me remind you again, um, coming up this Saturday, we will have um, Freedom Sunday. We'll be airing on the Daystar Network. Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. I think that's Eastern time. So check it out. Go to uh, freedomsunday2020.com to find out more about that. And uh, also check out prayvotestand.org. Tonight we have at 8 p.m. Eastern time our ninth edition of Pray, Vote, Stand. Senator Lindsey Graham will be joining me as will Senator James Senator James Langford of Oklahoma will be with me as uh, as well, among other guests, among other guests. Okay, after the uh, big tech companies censored one of the nation's largest newspapers, the New York Post, over the politically explosive story of Hunter Biden's emails, Republicans in the Senate immediately called for a hearing. That hearing, entitled, Does Section 230 Sweeping Immunity Enable Big Tech's Bad Behavior? Well, that took place earlier today. Now, one of the blatantly bad behaviors that was pointed out is the double standard frequently seen in who gets censored and who doesn't by the big tech companies. In fact, that point was pushed by Senator Rick Scott of Florida earlier today. Your companies are inconsistently applying their own rules with an obvious bias. Your companies are censoring free speech. You target the president, the White House press secretary, Senator Mitch McConnell, the Susan B. Anthony List, a pro-life group while giving dictators a free, unfettered platform. 
Joining me now to talk about this and the significance of today's hearing and what might come out of it is Congressman James Comer, who serves the 1st Congressional District of Kentucky and is the ranking member on the House Oversight Committee. Congressman, welcome back to the program. It's great to be back. So um, what do you think was accomplished in today's hearing over on the Senate side with the big tech companies? Well, I think several things were accomplished. First of all, uh, American people saw the concern that the Republicans have over this clear bias by the three major tech companies in, in the social media world. They also saw the utter disregard that the Democrats have because they recognize the fact that big tech is uh, essentially a campaign arm of the Biden campaign down the stretch, censoring damaging material on Biden, but uh, letting every conspiracy theory, every baseless uh, attack on Trump uh, go uncensored on social media. So I think the American people saw the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats on this issue. Secondly, I think uh, the American people saw that uh, big tech doesn't have any defined way they determine what is censored and what is not. They never really answered those questions. Uh, and it's, you know, it's clear that there there is a bias. They, these are liberal organizations, liberal corporations, uh, and they're protected from liability through Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. So what I think will happen now is Congress will step in and they will amend Section 230. And I think that big tech is about to uh, lose a lot of the the liability protection that they've enjoyed. And I think that it's going to hurt their bottom line. And, you know, I was shocked to see that the disregard for the concern by the Republicans uh, in the committee at big tech just blew it off. And, you know, I don't know if they think the elections are going to go their way and the Democrats will come in and save the day. But uh, I think big tech's going to be held accountable now through Congress. And, and I think they'll regret showing their hand as to their bias against conservatives. Uh, Congressman Comer, I hope you, I hope you're right, because what I what, what I've seen and correct me if I'm wrong, but as the Republicans have raised this issue over the last few years, it seems to be that the big tech bias is only intensified. They've not they've not cleaned up their act. They've not even slowed down. It, it appears that it's become even more intense and I, I don't know. Is that attributed to the fact they think they're going to have the Democratic Party in control? The left's going to be in control and is going to be their ally? I think that's what it is. That's the only thing that uh, I can account for. And I believe this is their Alamo. And I believe they are sitting back watching uh, CNN and MSNBC and reading the liberal newspapers. And they're they're thinking, you know, we've got this thing in the back. We're just going to disregard the concerns of conservatives across America, the conservatives in Congress, and we're going to continue to uh, step it up a notch and censor even more conservative, uh, you know, conservative news. And and we're going to let the liberal uh, baseless conspiracy theorists continue to post on social media, whatever they want. And I think that uh, big tech's going to be in for a big surprise on November 3rd, as are most of the mainstream media. And 
from that point on, I think Big Tech will be running back to Congress, wanting to sit down and work with them on on reforms moving forward because they've really gone so far now uh, to the point to where Section 230 will be amended. It's just a matter of how it's going to be amended. And, you know, my concern is I'm a free market guy. I'm a pro-business guy. Anytime Congress steps in to pass major legislation, there usually are unintended consequences. And, and I just I hate to create more regulations, but we've got three companies that have monopolies on the social media, and they're clearly influencing the election. Yes, there are. And just to, but this really isn't creating more bureaucracy. What you're doing is simply leveling the playing field for all media outlets because they've had a special status with the Section 230, the sweeping immunity provisions that they've had. So this would put them in, law, in the same line with newspapers and others where, you know, they're, they're, they can be held accountable civilly in the courts. And I think that's a it's a first step. Um, but I, I think there's also an issue that has to be looked at here about monopolies, because I think they're squeezing out any competition. Exactly. And I, I think they underestimate the Democrats' desire to uh, to break up those big tech companies. You know, the uh, the Elizabeth Warren to the world have been quiet. Uh, remember, a year ago, they were adamant in their uh, their disapproval of big tech. But now that big tech has has swung the Democrats' way and they're, you know, banning any article that would implicate Hunter Biden or, or Joe Biden's involvement with Hunter Biden, now the Democrats are like, oh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna just uh, turn a blind eye to big tech's bad behavior. But I, that's why I said early on, I think that uh, they're going to be in for a rude awakening after the November election. I think that uh, they're going to be in the crosshairs in both parties, and and I think that. Uh, those three companies as we know them today, Google, uh, Twitter, and Facebook, they won't resemble the same company a, a year from today because I think there's going to be major congressional action. And uh, I just, from watching the testimony today, I do, do not think they realize uh, what's going to happen. Well, but I, I do think they're going to be held accountable. I, I want to see what, what I think will be like a um, a, a catfight when you, when you remove the Section 230, the immunity, and you allow mm-hmm. trial lawyers uh, to come after big tech. So they, they come after big tech, which has become kind of the, the guardian of the left. And I think there's going to be it, – it's going to be interesting to watch the, the, con, the, the internal – uh, conflict that's there in the trial lawyers that want to go after big tech that has all the money, but at the same time understanding that that is the that's the left ideological core. Exactly, the, their lobbyists will be uh, begging to meet with Republicans next year because the uh, when you get rid of their immunity, their their liability protection. Uh, you're exactly right. The trial attorneys will be feasting on those three big tech companies, and that's what the Democrats want. The Democrats are honestly in a win-win situation here with big tech. They they have them uh, banning uh, any type of news that would harm Joe Biden uh, to help their candidate. Uh, but at, at the same time, they realize what's fixing to happen, and they're going to turn their backs on big tech. And big tech's going to be reformed, and they're going to lose their liability protection, and their 
financial base, which is the trial attorneys are going to be able to go in and make a lot of money off big tech. And, you know, I don't ever know of a time when Republicans willingly uh, created a situation where trial lawyers could make could make money. But big tech has just abused their privilege of having liability protection by clearly getting involved in this presidential race. They clearly have a bias against conservatives. And, you know, it's okay to have an opinion, but when they start using their essential monopolies to come in and ban anything that would uh, implicate Joe Biden, but yet let every baseless conspiracy theory uh, against Donald Trump uh, go uncensored, then I think that they're going to have to pay a pay a price and i believe that they will i I really do i know people get frustrated because it doesn't seem like these companies or these uh, uh bureaucrats ever get held accountable but i'm pretty confident that these three big tech companies are going to be held accountable in the coming months well, I, again, certainly hope you're right, because and I've been talking to trial lawyers, and, and, and I would love to see this, because, I mean, this is going to be like a, a buzzard roadside buffet uh, when you open <laughs> this up to the trial lawyers going after those big three. Uh, Congressman Comer, thanks so much for uh, joining us today here on Washington Watch. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. When we come back, I want to talk about the, uh, you know, we, we've kind of lost our history, our understanding of world history. And the issue of parallels between what happened a little over 100 years ago with the Russian Bolshevik revolution and what we see happening with leftists here in this country, are there parallels that we should be looking at? Larry Taunton, executive director of the Fixed Point Foundation, is here next. So don't go away. Back with more Washington Watch after this. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. 
Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Poll question for you today, folks. Text me the word radio to 53445. That number, 53445. I'll send you a link to take the uh, the poll question. The question is this. Have you voted? I'd like to know, have you voted? I'm going to find out what percentage of our listeners have uh, voted early. And how many even plan on voting? Okay, we're just uh, six days away from a critical election. You know, it appears that America is becoming more divided each day. You know, President Trump has become a trigger for the left as anarchists chant death to America in the streets of our own cities. Most interpret what they see as, eh, it's illogical. And they try to explain it away as nothing more than a response to President Trump and his policies. But you know what? That doesn't hold water. You know, millions of us did not like the policies of Barack Obama, but we didn't burn cities and loot stores. Is there something bigger going on here that we might miss without an understanding of world history? Joining me now to talk about this is the executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, Larry Taunton. In the 1990s, uh, Larry was a graduate student of Russian history and Marxism and is now the author of a newly released book, actually released yesterday, Around the World in More Than 80 Days, Discovering What Makes America Great and Why We Must Fight to Save It. Larry, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony. It's good to be with you. Uh, What timing for a book like that to come out just days before an election? Yeah, I'll say, um, you know, I set out, Tony, to write this book um, three years ago um, because I I begin the book by speaking of Colin Kaepernick and how the left wants to uh, to burn this country to the ground. But I didn't I didn't anticipate that they would literally seek to do just that. Well, given your understanding of history, you know, 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution, are there any parallels you know, it's just, is it people are just upset with what they see, or is there something bigger taking place here that we need to take note of? Yes, uh, and in fact, I just explained it in a little short video we just, we just put out on YouTube, Understanding Socialism, Marxism, and the Radical Left's Plan for America. Um, the parallels, um, there's great similarities between this time and that time, and, and, and then great dissimilarities. The uh, the Russian um, 
government and the Russian Orthodox Church were both quite rotten. And so what Marx referred to, or Gramsci referred to, as a frontal assault, meaning an armed insurrection against the government, worked because it was easy to bring those governments down. But the United States government has, has many more institutional pillars, and those are the family, our tradition, our patriotism, the church, which is the key institutional uh, pillar, our government, our laws. And so they seek through cultural Marxism to penetrate all of those and to rot them from within, and that's what we're seeing. Hmm. Uh, very interesting. I mean, when you see these, uh, what, what's happening, I'm going to have uh, Dr. Herb Bloss, pastor of uh, Greater Exodus Baptist Church in downtown Philadelphia, is going to join me in a moment. But what we've seen with each one of these events that have occurred uh, are outside agitators that have come in to take advantage of these situations. Many of them appear to be organized. So it looks like there is a concerted effort to you know, if, if it's to topple the government, it, I'm not sure exactly what the end game is, but it, it clearly looks like this is more than just spontaneous dissatisfaction with the police departments. Sure. A, a nonprofit has actually put out a study. You can find this on Red State and a number of other places, uh, a study that was done with Princeton University to get at the core of these um, riots. And it discovered that 95 percent of the riots have Black Lives members um, uh, actively engaged, meaning that these riots aren't spontaneous, that there is a, uh, a driving force behind it. And I think the goal is twofold. I think it's on the one hand to embarrass the president of the United States to try to say that it's his fault, everything that is happening. And even if he responds with force, he'll be ridiculed as saying, aha, see, he is a, he is a, a tyrant, if he does nothing, then he's considered weak. And also, on the other hand, the Democratic Party is essentially making a bargain with the American people. We will not give you rest and let you have normalcy until you elect us. Hmm. So when you – and let's go back to your book for a moment because I think it's relevant to this discussion – what is it that makes America great, and, and why must we fight to save it? Because what we're hearing is America's bad. It's it's just it's bad to its core, and we just need to scrap it. I mean, that's essentially the message that's on the street. And that message, quite frankly, from all that I've been able to ascertain, is a message that has been filling the classrooms of America. Yeah, well, it really has. And not only that, but, I mean, imagine this. Last week, Joe Biden said in a speech, America has never been great. Now, that alone should make him unelectable. I can't imagine a Democrat or Republican of any previous generation saying something like that. But the data says that 69 percent of Americans have never been abroad. And I would argue that the remaining 31 percent have probably only been, say, on a fishing trip to Canada or to Tijuana and maybe a cruise to the Caribbean. So when a claim like that is made, most Americans have no way of evaluating that statement, Tony. So I did it for them. I went around the world quite literally. It's an adventure story. Uh, but I'm also educating you. I went around the world literally um, to 27 countries. I've been to 55 in all to help Americans see what the rest of the world is like. So through this book, um, 
uh, they around the world in more than 80 days discovering what makes America great and why we must fight to save it. I'm introducing you to socialism. I'm taking you to old Marxist ruins of countries. I'm showing you Islam. I'm showing you Christian persecution. So, Larry, how can folks get a copy of the book? They can find it anywhere, online retailers. And uh, today, a wonderful endorsement from Dinesh D'Souza and David Horowitz and Eric Metaxas. So you can get it on Amazon everywhere else. Thank you, Tony. Great. Thanks, Larry, so much for being with us. to get you back on to talk more about that. But very timely. And folks, I would encourage you to, uh, to check that out. Around the world in more than 80 days, discovering what makes America great and why we must fight to save it. All right, when we come back, Dr. Herb Lusk, pastor of Greater Exodus Baptist Church in downtown Philadelphia, who's actually hosted some FRC events in years past, good friend of mine. He's going to be joining us uh, with an update on what's happening there in Philadelphia with these riots. So don't go away. Back with more Washington Watch next. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me remind you again tonight, Pray, Vote, Stand, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll have uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, also Senator, we'll have uh, Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma will be with us uh, as well. All right, uh, second night of uh, protest 
looting, burning, uh, shootings, looters shooting, shoot, looters shooting looters in um, Philadelphia. It all started with the, uh, the death of 27-year-old Walter Wallace. Wallace confronted police officers. He was having his bipolar, having some issues. Confronted two police officers with a knife, was advancing on them after multiple warnings to drop the knife and to stop. And I watched the video. The police were trying to disengage. They shot and killed him. Now, they shot multiple times, I think maybe more than they needed to. Now, some Philadelphia protesters uh, have taken matters into their own hands that have been targeting police officers. Uh, the first night, one officer, a 55-year-old police sergeant, a female, was struck by a truck, um, broken her, her leg was broken, she's still hospitalized. Uh, others, about 30 other officers, have been uh, injured, and multiple stores have been looted. The question is, is this... As we were talking about earlier, are there outside agitators coming in here? Now, just keep in mind that back in June, Philadelphia had riots then as well. And I think the city kind of hamstrung themselves because they actually reduced the police's budget by $33 million, um, which reduces training and, and their ability to engage the public appropriately. Well, joining me now with more insight on what's happening there is a good friend of ours, former running back for the Philadelphia Eagles and now pastor of Greater Exodus Baptist Church, Dr. Herb Lusk, senior pastor. Dr. Lusk, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony. How are you? I'm doing fine, sir. So good to uh, to hear you. Tell us w- what's happening. Is there is there been any uh, a calm descending on the city of Philadelphia, or is it still in turmoil and unrest? Well, the city is in turmoil and unrest. Um, however, there is a curfew tonight at 9 o'clock, which is going to cool some of the violence. Will the police enforce that uh, curfew? They will. I've, I've been riding around the city, and there's a strong presence of, of police officers in all critical places. And, and Herb, I know you work closely with the city. You've got a lot of uh, inner city ministries there. You've been a key part of the downtown uh, area there. Uh, are there those that are coming in from the outside that are agitating, that are that are creating these riots, or is this something spontaneous that's happening internally? Well, I mean, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and riots, you know, when all the crowds get together, it doesn't take much for it to get out of hand. However, in this particular situation, um, my son, uh, who is my assistant pastor, one of my assistant pastors, uh, he marches. He's out with uh, the pastors trying to make sure things are calm and easy. And one of the things that he shared with me is that there were people from other parts uh, of the country that were there. Some of them were in, m- most of them were dressed in black, and they had backpacks. And uh, there is um, some belief that they, in those backpacks were bricks. So, I mean, there's obviously there, there was, as I mentioned, back in June, there were there were protests in uh, Philadelphia. I mean, there's been it's been a tough summer all across the country. But are there systemic problems within the Philadelphia Police Department there that uh, are not being addressed? I, I would say that there's systemic problems 
in our police department all over this country for the most part. There are issues. There are fears. I mean, right now our country is in complete turmoil from the standpoint of all these different uh, incidents that have been taking place. And, you know, I, I was looking at the film as well, Tony. I saw that you you, you saw the film, and the police did try to disengage as best they could. However, seven bullets, you know, uh, I just, you know, I, just, I haven't been trained as a police officer, but if a guy's coming to me, I've, there's two police officers, and both of their guns are drawn. They're drawn. And, and the little knife that the kid this man had coming up to them, I mean, it just seems like to me, you, if you had to shoot him once and protect yourself, yes, but seven times? I, that's I, the way. I, I agree. And I don't know the training protocol there. And in, in my training as a police officer, you would, you would what they call double tap. You'd shoot two rounds. Uh, but that, to me, that was the first thing I saw, that it was excessive. They did try to disengage. But I don't know what their training is. And that's part of the concern I have. I see that even on the, the heels of the $33 million cut to the budget, that they're actually now talking about taking away MACE uh, and other um, tools that the police officers use that, that can avoid from having to use deadly force. You don't want to leave them with just a gun. Well, you know, obviously, uh, I think that every police officer should have a taser. I mean, taser is about $1,000 a taser. You get 6,500 police. I mean, you're talking about 6.5. Make sure that they don't have to use deadly right. Exactly. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be done uh, in law enforcement across the country. Um, and part of it, I think, is that the, the pastors like you and churches being more engaged in the communities as you have done. Uh, Herb, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. As always, great to, uh, to talk with you. Folks, don't go away. We're going to come back on the other side of the break. Uh, Brent Kylan, Vice President of FRC Action, joins me with an update on some of the key races across the country and tools you can use. That's next. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, 
received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. This is Washington Watch, and I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me again remind you tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, the ninth episode of Pray, Vote, Stand. Senator Lindsey Graham joins us. Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma is there, as well as David Benham joins us. Uh, So tune in tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And the poll question for today, if you've not yet taken it, uh, I want to encourage you... uh, Text the word radio to 53445. We're going to talk about this uh, early voting. Have you voted already? Have you voted? I'd like to know. 53445. Text the word radio, and I'll send you a, uh, a link to take the poll question for today. All right. Joining me now in studio, Brent Kylan, uh, Vice President for FRC Action. And uh, Brent, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you again. Okay, we were just talking about um, early voting, and I'm getting some early numbers here from uh, our listeners. Almost three-quarters have voted, uh, which I I, I thought that would be pretty much the case. I think ours are on top of this. and uh, So 74% have voted, 26% have not voted, and zero say they don't plan to vote. So uh, that's That's good. good. That's good. I would have, have a... Heart palpitations if I heard that they were not going to vote. So uh, let's talk about this. Uh, what does it look like in terms of uh, early voting right now? Well, we we are seeing some uh, big early voting numbers, Tony, and uh, I, I think that was to be expected. Um, obviously, we've got uh, a lot of these state laws governing the, the the processes to vote early were expanded this year because of COVID. So we saw that play out in the primaries. Uh, so so early voting numbers are, are pretty significant right now. Um, as of uh, today, according to the U.S. Elections Project, we have almost 75 million people who have vote early. So how does that compare with 2016? In 2016, we had 137 million people vote total. 
altogether. So we are already at 55% of the turnout in, in 2016, so over halfway there. So those are, are some very big numbers. Uh, but if you take a look at these and, and break these down, I, I think a couple things that, that pop out. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about the mail-in ballots and people just wondering about the security of those. Um, those are being pushed more on the left than on the right. President Trump has tweeted and, and posted some concerns about that. Um, if you look at the mail-in ballots, there are a lot of mail-in ballots that have come in. Out of the 75 million, about 50 million, 49 million are mail-in, and then one-third, 25 million, are in-person votes. So that's significant. Um, mail-in ballots do tend to be rejected at higher rates than in-person, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as these actually uh, get counted and all of that. The other thing, Tony, I think that's very significant about these uh, these early voting numbers is everybody wonders who's ahead. You know, the Republicans, the Democrats, and and we have a breakdown of that for for about fifty percent of these votes. Um, not every state has party registration affiliation, you know, but but for about fifty uh, percent of these votes, fifty percent of those states they do. So if you look at those votes. Uh, Democrats have some stuff they're pointing to as, as a good sign for them. Republicans have stuff they're pointing to as a good sign for them. The breakdown is about 17 million of these, or or 48 uh, percent of those ballots, are Democrat, registered Democrats. And then uh, about 11 million, or or 29 percent, are, are Republicans. And then about uh, 22 percent, the remainder, are unaffiliated. So that's a 19-point gap for Democrats. That's what the Democrats are pointing to, saying this is a great sign for us. The thing the Republicans are pointing to, though, is polling going into this election. Uh, over 60% of Democrats said they plan to vote early. Less than 30% of Republicans said they plan to vote early. So the Democrats should be shooting for about a two-to-one margin right now, and they're well behind that in these numbers, only about 19% ahead. So we're at about 70 million early votes? 75 million, yes. 75 million, and what is the projection on the total votes that will be cast in this election? You know, uh, latest projections I've seen are, are 150 million. Uh, it's really, again, too early to tell. Um, based off of these numbers, I could see it passing that a little bit. Again, that either way, that would be ahead a of the 137 million in 2016, but the latest estimates are that we're going to see somewhere around 150 million total. So where uh, any idea where those additional voters have, <clears throat> excuse me, have come from? Um, you know, one, one thing that's been very interesting is uh, about 25% of these voters are voters that did not vote in 2016. So if you look at that, about a quarter uh, from the analysis I've seen, uh, a quarter of people who didn't vote uh, four years ago, that's actually a pretty significant number and, and points to increased enthusiasm. Um, and, and according to the analysis I've seen, uh, those voters are about split, 50-50 Republican, 50% 50, uh, 50 Republican, 50% Democrat. Well, that, that's a good thing. I mean, actually encourage uh, greater participation in the the process. So that's a, that's a good development. And, and in part, I mean, that's what we've been doing is registering more people mm -hmm. to vote. Mm -hmm. So about 75% of our folks have already voted, so they have a job to do in the next six days, even though if they've voted, they can help others 
make votes, uh, you know, be prepared to make, uh, to to show up to the polls and vote. Because most of the early voting is, for the most part, in many states is over because there's usually a a period of time, a week or so between the early voting and the actual election day. So let's talk uh, some about, uh, I'm going to get to the tools in a minute that we have a pray vote stand that people can use to convince those friends, coworkers, or, or others that they need to vote and how they need to vote. But let's talk about some of the critical races where we've got some really close congressional races. Yeah, we, we really do, Tony. And um, there, are, there are a couple levels to this. Um, there's the, the U.S. Senate, very important, the U.S. House, and then some state legislatures are, are very important this year as well. Starting with the, the U.S. Senate, so the, um, the Republicans currently have a 53 to 47 majority in the U.S. Senate. So, so not a huge, huge majority. Um, this, is, uh, this is critical. You know, we, we saw Amy Coney Barrett get confirmed this week. If President Trump were to win re-election but not the, the Republicans didn't uh, keep the U.S. Senate and Chuck Schumer was in charge, uh, a nominee like Amy Coney Barrett is not no. going to get confirmed. Yeah. So uh, if there are any more Supreme Court vacancies, which there's a great chance there will be over the next four years, the Senate is is so important. So if you look at the breakdown of this, Republicans have two, maybe three uh, pickup opportunities in the U.S. Senate. In Alabama, they're actually looking very good. In Michigan, they have a, a, a strong opportunity. That race is looking very close. And then some polling is showing that maybe the Minnesota U.S. Senate race is is closing the gap as well. So those would be the, the Republicans' three chances. But the Republicans um, are at a disadvantage also in that they're playing a lot of defense this year. There are, there are 10 U.S. Senate races right now currently held by Republicans that uh, Cook political reports as either toss-up or, or lean Democrat. And in the polling, uh, I've looked at the polling and all of those, a lot of this is just very, very close. So it's just so important. If you have a U.S. Senate race on the ballot in your state, so important that you and people uh, you know are getting out to vote in that race. Um, the, the U.S. House, uh, the, Demo- the, the Republicans would have to pick up, I think it's 18 to 20 House seats to, to, to win control. Um, I think that's an uphill climb. It, it's, it's possible. I don't think it's likely at this point. But then the other, um, the other level that's not getting discussed as much right now is the, the state legislative bodies. And, and this is always important, right? Just because well, of the- especially this year, because in 2020, the legislative bodies that are in place will deal with this, the census yes, information yes. that is provided and will be a part of redrawing the legislative and congressional districts. Yes, absolutely. In that the Republicans currently control a, a small majority of those state legislative bodies across the country, but the Democrats have been very focused, very targeted at trying to flip some of these, especially in these swing states, these legislative bodies, to be able to draw those lines next year. So whether or not someone lives in you know one of these battleground states, because we're going to hear about this I mean, we're already hearing about it, but we're going to hear more about it in the next six days. You mentioned it, Minnesota. We're going to hear about Wisconsin. We're going to hear about Michigan. We're going to hear about Arizona. Those key states that are, according to the polls, are like neck and neck where Mm -hmm. Biden and Trump are uh, competing. Uh, But I just don't want people to lose sight of the fact that no matter where they are, and even if their state's solid red and it's, you know, and, and the president's going to carry it or if they're solidly blue and uh, Biden's going to carry it, 
there are other races on the ballot. They need to make sure that they vote, whether it's a congressional race, a Senate race, whether it's state legislator race, whether it's the, the sheriff that's on the ballot, which we have found during this period of corona, uh, where many sheriffs have refused to enforce these overreaching laws to close down churches. So everyone, school board, I mean, just you name it, every one of these is important. So people need to be voting. Absolutely, Tony. And and we have some great resources for this. I know a lot of people that, that, that uh, answered that poll question have voted already. That is fantastic. But uh, hey, like you said, uh, go and find those people who haven't yet, because we know there's a lot of people out there who haven't voted yet. And, and we have a lot of resources uh, to equip you or share these with those people who haven't voted yet at prayvotestand.org. We've got uh, kind of made that a one-stop shop lots of resources but but we have voter guides we have a lot of voter guides there um we we all know it can be tricky depending on the race to know exactly where candidates stand on some of these issues they don't like to to take clear positions so we have some guides breaking that down we we have of course the presidential guide and these are all you know digital too so if if uh, if you want to print out hard copies share those you can do that if you just want to send around an, a link or text that you can do that too but we also have some some guides for key US Senate races and then uh, I voter guide which covers all of the federal races so you type in your um, your address into that it'll bring up your customized voter guide and then a lot of these key races it covers the state races as well as the judicial races, which is so important as well. And to get that uh, tailored voter guide, actually, they can just text their zip code. Yep, that's right. To, to I believe it's 53445. Yeah, the same number I gave you out a few moments ago on uh, the poll question. If you just use the same number, 53445, put in your zip code as opposed to the word radio. Put in your zip code and you'll get back a tailored uh, voter guide. And it covers mainly the federal races. It depends. Some states, uh, it goes a little deeper, but it'll give you uh, some of the key races that will be in your district based upon your zip code. So, again, that number, 53445, just put your zip code in and text it to that number, and you'll get back a link to a tailored uh, voter guide. The... Um, there are some ballot issues on uh, in certain in certain places as well. Not a whole lot of them mm -hmm. that we're tracking, but there are some. There are there are um, a, a couple key ones that we're tracking are in in Louisiana and also in Colorado and um, just some very important legislative me uh, measures here. Uh, the, the the one in Louisiana is uh, Amendment One. It's a it's a, a pro life constitutional amendment. That would it would amend the state constitution to make it clear that there's no right to abortion or abortion funding uh, in in the constitution. That's similar to what the state of Tennessee did a few That's years right. ago. Now they had to do it because their court had ruled that the legislature didn't have the right. Uh, this is just kind of a, an additional level of protection in Louisiana. I mean, I, I, I know having served there in the legislature, Louisiana is one of the the most, if not the most, pro-life. Uh, state in the country, always been that way, even under Democratic governors like we have now. Um, but this is just an additional protection mm -hmm. so that if the court were to ch somehow try to limit the ability of uh, the, you know, the legislature to be the final say on the issue of life, this, 
deals with it. That's right. That's right. And so some great work by the people in Louisiana. I've been working a lot with the Love Life Coalition down there. And also there's one in Colorado. This is a, a Proposition 115. And basically, this is a pro-life change in statute, and, and it would prohibit abortion after 22 weeks gestation. This is important in Colorado because Colorado is actually one of the most uh, permissive states uh, on abortion in a country. Uh, they they allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancy uh, up to the moment of birth, and they don't even have any born alive protections. You know, if there's a, a botched abortion, you know, protecting that that baby who survives that day, they don't even have that level of protection. So in Colorado, Proposition 115, this is a, a common sense measure to 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 put limitations on late term abortion. And doing a lot of work with the uh, the End Birthday Abortions Coalition out there, doing some fantastic work on that initiative as well. All right, uh, Brent Kylan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. And um, obviously we're going to be talking to you a lot in the next week as we move closer to Election Day next Tuesday. So, folks, check out the website, prayvotestand.org. We've made this very simple for you. In fact, um, all the resources are also uh, uh, in Spanish so that they can be shared far and wide so that, uh, you know, Share them with uh, friends that uh, may be in a Hispanic church or different places so they can share those resources with them uh, as well because we want every Bible-believing Christian informed, engaged, and voting in this election. There is so much at stake. And there's some great uh, uh, resources for social media, some uh, comparisons, uh, videos that you can post on your social media just to help inform family and friends. All right, folks, again, tune in tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time for Pray Vote Stand, Episode 9. I'll, uh, I'll see you then. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.